This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, we have the Weavers. Michael and Courtney Weaver from Weaver Sales Academy, who live in the Kansas City area part of the year. And then the other part, they're out in sunny Arizona, living life to the fullest. And I have no idea where this thing is going to go, but it's going to go somewhere good today. So before we get too cranked up, why don't y'all do me a favor real quick and just sort of give our audience the 10,000 foot overview of who you are and how you got to having Weaver Sales Academy today. Yeah. So our story actually begins in 2014. Two months after we got married, we opened up a scratch insurance agency. We were captive insurance agents. Uh, There was a running bet on whether the business would make it and whether our marriage would make it. Luckily, both of them did. We survived (laughs) all of that. Fast forward about three years into the business, we realized that there was a real big gap between what was being offered from corporate, from a training aspect, and what you actually needed to do and say to make money in this industry, to have success in this industry. So that's where Weaver Sales Academy was born, was really to fill that gap between corporate training and how to actually apply that. And that was uh, in 2018. And now we help over 5,000 insurance agents across the country make more money and have more fun being in this space. And of the 5,000 agents y'all are working with, are they captive? Are they independent sort of all over the board? Because in my mind, sales skills really are not product dependent. Your messaging may change a little bit, but the general architecture of what anybody should be doing to generate new business, conduct meetings and things is pretty much the same regardless. Amen. Yep. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. It's a mixed bag. So we help both independent and captives. And our marketing, I'm going to speak to that a little bit because I love talking about marketing, but that's where our our network really was, was in the captive space. So that's what we started at. That was what we were most comfortable in. And just to your point, David, sales is sales and how to have success in this industry. It doesn't matter what product you're selling, you're selling. It's, it's all pretty much the same thing. It's conversation with people. hundred percent. I mean, I'll tell you my my take on it is we're not selling anything. We need to be educating, right? Yeah. Because yes. I feel like the best salespeople or the best producers, I don't even want to say salespeople, but the best producers out there are people who understand that you need to, number one, identify who it is you're going to go after. I mean, mm-hmm. rule number one, who's your ideal prospect? What does that mm-hmm. look like? How many How many of those do you want to have? And in commercial, I recommend that you have three to five profiles that you sort of follow. You don't want to put all your eggs into plumbers because at some point something's going to happen. And right now, it just so happens that in Florida, we've got a lot of issues with plumbing companies because they've had claims. And I don't think that's going to go away. So thankfully, I have other things that I go after. But I feel like a lot of people out there miss just that important first step of identifying what lane they're going to drive in. And then the second thing is stay in your freaking lane, man. Yeah. You got to you've got yep. to stick to it. Like this is not an easy job. I don't ever want anybody to think that going out and being an outside producer is easy. 
It's not. You have to talk to strangers. You have to try and take complex topics and break them down to where other people are easily able to understand them. Thank you, Chat GPT, for writing at a sixth grade <laughs> reading level. And you know, all of those other all of those other things, but yeah. it just it blows my mind how many people out there just don't even know who they want to be in the industry in terms of who they want to represent when they're out on the streets. And if you don't have that kind of definition and you think you're going to prospect and go out and build a, a personal brand in addition to the brand for your agency, you're out of luck. It isn't going to happen. I was just going to say the, the very first thing that they need to do is them like work on themselves. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to get out and, and do it, you better be working on yourself before you work on anything else. Because Without you doing the work, you're only going to be average, all right? And nobody, look, the average is what? The best of the worst and- The worst of the best. The worst of the best. Like, who wants to just be average? And so if you can, if you're really going to be dominant in the space, like you are, you're going to have to work on yourself. Yeah, but I think also to say like, to have your ideal customer and that's like the first step. I think that's a pretty meaty first step though that is- Something that, I mean, when you think about the question of who do you want to serve or who do you want to be, that's a big question. It's a huge question. So it does take some thought. If that's the first time that you're hearing it, you're going, oh, shit, I want to help. Can I cuss on here? I'm sorry. Oh, just did. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, you're um, all good. Okay. Who do I want to help is a big thing. So, and, and we've talked about this before, David, of what do you have expertise in? What do you well, enjoy? Yeah. Or, what are or you even passionate more importantly, about? Yeah. What are you passionate about? Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. It's not a tough question when you go to where somebody's passionate, right? Because people mm -hmm. are going to gravitate yeah. toward that. And if they're going to educate people about that, they're going to educate them about more than just how to ensure that type of a business, right? So it, from from our standpoint, I want the people who maybe used to own a plumbing company and understand the things that yeah. can happen inside a plumbing company, but decided, you know what, yeah, I'm, I'm on to other things. I don't want to do that anymore, even though you can make a lot of money as a plumber right now with the depletion and the, the, the staffing for trades. But find something they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Some of the best agents that I know you know, our car guys or car ladies that insure auto services shops or upgrade, you know, up to upgrade shops for high performance or whatever else they niche down into the things that they're very specifically interested in, which is one of the reasons why I think you have to have a few things that you're passionate about mm -hmm. in order to be able to do that. Because if you niche yep. too deep, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Certainly there's plenty of money to be there. And and also I'm not advocating that you be a generalist. I don't think anybody can be all things yeah. to all people. But to Michael's point, I came into the insurance industry because the gentleman that interviewed me after I decided I was out of retail and I was going to do this, he said, David, the insurance industry is average. It's a C industry. It's full of average people who do just enough to get by. They still make a good living. They have a great quality of life. But if you think you're an A player, come into a C industry and you will absolutely dominate. Yep. That was 15 years ago. And that has not changed in 15 years. Mm -hmm. yep. I believed him at face value because he was very successful and had run a very successful agency that sold for way more money than Jed Clampett has. But at the end of the day, he was right. And once I got into it, I went from an industry where I was working 100 hours a week, many days, seven days a week, to working Monday through Friday, 50 hours. I felt like I was on vacation, and I also felt like I was working twice as hard as my competition. Mm -hmm. I wrote more business because I would answer my phone after 4 o'clock or on Friday afternoon than anything else that I did that, that, that I had competency toward. It was just simply being there. Then the mm -hmm. other thing that I learned was, I don't understand this stuff and I'm selling it. So let me learn this to the point that I can actually explain it. And it's not explaining with the intent to buy it's or, or sell. It's explaining with the intent to educate and then letting a grown adult make a decision now that That's they right. have information. That's right. Because education equates to empowerment. Mm -hmm. And when you're empowering a customer, you're not selling anything anymore. You're educating them on the problems or what your policy does after you've hopefully had a discovery question to figure out the, the problems. And then you educate them on your solution to their problems. And if you're good enough at education and story selling, 
the policy and insurance typically sells itself, especially if you are enthusiastic and inspiring in the conversation. Now, if I'm talking to you like, you know, David, you've got a couple problems. It like that ain't gonna sell shit. But okay, like you gotta I'm, I'm be excited about it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to recommend you get a job in underwriting if you're talking like that at the point of sale. <laughs> you better be excited about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's probably a little bit more flexibility in what you educate people on commercially versus personal because personal tends to be I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it tends to be a little more transactional. I can tell you mm -hmm. from our agency specifically, that's the case. And it's also a lot of it is the difference between inbound and outbound too. You know, my producers are not going to sit here waiting for somebody to walk in the door. They would go hungry. They're going out and hunting and they're doing it very, very intentionally. That's why they have to know who it is they're even going to hunt and whether or not there's a reasonable number of prospects out there in that class of business for them to go after. But once they do that, you know, it's not an insurance conversation. It's a total cost of risk conversation in the commercial world. You know, there are so many claims that people just brush under the mat and pay out of pocket and they never account for that as part of their risk management plan. But those are retained losses and are certainly calculated in total cost of risk. There are times where things aren't covered. They haven't accounted for that. I, I just believe that if we go in and we can talk about the different, get, get the risk profile of the account right first, again, by asking questions, then you can start educating on areas where people either need to finance the risk through the purchase of an insurance product. They can transfer that risk contractually, like a subcontractor agreement or something like that. Or they can end up saying, you know what? I'm good. I can quantify what this risk is. I can healthily take it according to my balance sheet. I'm going to go ahead and take a hundred thousand or a five hundred thousand dollar deductible instead of what I've taken all these years because my business has grown to a point where I can do something with it, you know, do something like that now and maximize my ability to save. Although in Florida, we're at a point where you might have to do that just to get insurance. It's not about saving money. It's whether or not you even get coverage terms. But I, I feel like we do have a lot of an a lot of opportunities to educate people. It doesn't mean you don't have that on personal lines. I think a lot of the times people skip that step and they are not willing to take the time, mm -hmm. right? So they don't want to take the time to educate because it's a lower ticket. I think people are viewed as transactional. You know, I have a hard time mentally. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have a hard time mentally being on the phone with a CFO that pays my agency $50,000 a year in commissions. And my very next call is Mrs. Jenkins, who's pissed that her homeowners went up $50 yep. a year and she wants me to reshop every market. I have a, I, I'm human. I have limitations as far as what I'm able to deal with. But if I deal with Mrs. Jenkins on the front end and I have that conversation and I'm the one who's selling to her, I'm going to make sure she doesn't have any questions about anything at all. And that may be a 45 minute sales call on a personal lines policy, but I'm going to have a client for life when I do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give them yep. the attention they deserve. You know, the other time we give them the attention they deserve when there's a claim, 100% mm -hmm. of the time. So many agencies out there are worried about doing NPS and all of this other stuff when a certificate's issued. Hey, how'd uh -huh. we do? Well, you pushed the buttons great, Sally. <laughs> Good job. You were 15 seconds faster than last time. But those same agencies aren't soliciting NPS after a claim has been handled and resolved because they don't want to know what their clients think then. Hmm. Yep. That's, and I'm glad that you brought that up, transactional, because we talk about that a lot, transactional selling versus transformational selling. And in the commercial space, absolutely, you got to have much, I would say, deeper conversations. But even on the upfront, multi-line, personal line sales conversation, if you're doing what you just said, you're automatically going to crush it because you're going to be different than the 50 other personal lines agents they're talking to that all they're concerned with and asking about is the insurance information and can they save you money. And if you can take the saving money out of the equation, just like you do in commercial insurance, you're going to crush it in the personal line space. You're going to crush it in the life insurance space because you're having conversations with people. 
you're asking questions, you're fact-finding, you're educating, you're empowering, and you are selling a solution to a problem. And yeah, sure, you may not get paid as much on the personal lines, but personal lines is a very scalable business to where you can make a very, very good living, millions of dollars of living. Yeah, well, you know, is with as much direct to consumer marketing, I mean, I'll call them out, the progressives, the Geico's mm -hmm. that are out there don't have a negative thing to say, but people believe that's how they should buy. Like yeah. they don't understand what they're getting when they pick up the phone. They don't understand who's on the other end. Who's on the other end in those circumstances is somebody who's going to do their best to sell them a policy before they hang up. And yep. they're not going to educate them on why 10, 20, 10 is not the best option, right? Yep. They're not going to take the time to educate them on why they need an umbrella, you know, because of all the reasons they would need an umbrella. They're not going to, and you can walk right down the line, but in those situations, that is a hundred percent transactional, man. And as a result, it's conditioned the buyer so that when they call an independent agency, mm -hmm. they don't really even understand the value that an independent brings. And even if they were to call a captive, like a state farm or an Allstate or whatever, they're just looking for quotes. They don't understand the value of that person who's been in that role for 20, 25 years and has seen anything and everything you could possibly imagine and what that experience does to make sure that they're covered correctly, but more importantly, taking that experience and articulating it in such a way that the average consumer can understand. And I know this because I see it all the time in all of these crazy posts that are in the various online forums. I was in insurance soup this last weekend and somebody had posted something about a screenshot on how to deal with a, a prospect who said where they had gone back and said, look, we, you know, here's what we do. We go to the market. We get a bunch of quotes for you. We're going to put the best coverage, the best price together, blah, 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 blah. And they said, well, so you're basically going to do what Google can do for me. They don't even have an understanding that we represent yeah. carriers that they can't get to unless they go through us. So I think That's that right. we need to do a better job of, un of explaining to people why independent agents are different and why dealing with an actual agent as opposed to somebody in a call center is beneficial to them. Because I don't want to take away from the captives. There are plenty of great State Farm and other agents out there. You know, Bradley Flowers' wife, Laurel, is one of them. She's awesome. I would have her insure me in a heartbeat. I trust her implicitly. And I'm pretty sure she means business on the back end of a claim if I were to have a problem. She's going to get it taken care of for me. So I think it's interesting that we have done such a good job of 15% in 15 minutes or less, or Dr. Rick teaching people not to be their parents. No, here's the cool new hip way, if there's such a thing, to buy insurance. Go to our website or call us here, and in 15 minutes, you're off the phone and you've bought something. You probably don't even know what it is, and unfortunately, you're mm -hmm. going to find out when you need it, and it ain't going to work. Yeah, I mean, I really believe in just an in insurance in general, it doesn't matter if it's commercial or the personal line space. You have to have a sales skillsmanship. You have to be very good at what you do. You have to be good at conversations. And quite frankly, your approach can't just be to help out everybody. Like I love, I love the point you're bringing up because when we were told that, hey, I just want the cheapest rate you got, cheapest rate, I would simply tell them right there on the phone, like, Hey, you're probably not the right customer for me. I'm, I'm happy to give you Bob's number down the road. Um, and now when it comes to claim time, I don't know if Bob's coverage is going to be adequate for you, but if you want Bob's number, I'll give that to you. Or if you've got 10 to 15 minutes right now, I can ask you the questions I need to ask. Would you like Bob's number? A hundred percent of the time they would say, no, let's go ahead and have a conversation. I never, ever had a single person. It didn't matter if it was an, an internet lead when I was a producer or a cold call when, when we started the agency. Never. Isn't they that were always... crazy? Isn't that that crazy yeah. though? This is somebody that called you out of the blue. You answer the phone, and now no, I don't want to go to Bob. You're the person I called. They don't know who you are from Adam yet, right? Yep. And I, I, I agree. By the way, I agree with everything that you're saying because I just went through this on an account that had forty million dollars a year in sales and was an internet lead to my agency and was horribly underinsured horribly represented, never got any kind of advice. And honestly, I probably wasn't as um, 
Probably wasn't as smooth, Michael, as I needed to be. Probably not as smooth as either one of y'all would be. But my response was, listen, if you want to have the kind of insurance that you get by walking into a strip mall and going into an agency where you would buy your home and auto, my firm is not the right firm for you. Not that there's anything wrong with insurance agencies that are in strip malls that sell home and auto, but in my experience, they're typically not insuring $40 million a year distributorships with massive fleets, no umbrella, huge property risks, and all of this other stuff. It's a, it's just a matter of, you again, you can't be all things to all people. And I said, so I'm going to go ahead and gracefully excuse myself, but I'll tell you what, if you'd like... Instead of me participating in a quoting exercise, which is something we don't do in my agency, I would be happy to review everything that these other agents that you've talked to have provided you. I don't have a horse in the race anymore. I'm not going to represent you, but I don't want you to lose out because I feel like you could actually benefit from somebody taking the time to explain the why. I'm just at the point in my career where I'm not going to practice quoting anymore and hope that I get your business I'm going to get your business because I'm the one who takes the time to explain. Well, and I think that that's where we can separate ourselves in the insurance profession as a whole is the consumers have been conditioned. Mm -hmm. Geico's first commercial was in 1999. So it's that's been crazy. on for a long time and they spend billions with a B in advertising saying one thing, we're going to save you money. I am just now starting to see marketing switch to where we're talking about something else aside from saving money. So we've had 25, 24 years of, we're gonna save you money, we're gonna save you money. So the consumer doesn't even know what questions to ask. So just by digging deeper to your point of saying, hey, I'm I'm actually gonna see what you have here, but I, I don't want your business. I mean, even the consumer's going, wait, what do you mean? Because they don't know what questions to ask. They don't know what they have. So we have to be the ones that have to bring it up, ask the questions. This is what you need. This is my job is to make sure that you are protected in all cases of risk. But the problem is, is a lot of a lot of folks in the insurance industry don't know how to have that conversation. They're trying to sell like the Geico's and progressives of the world and save people money. Like if you're going to be in that game, you're going to get your ass kicked. Like if you're going to compete against Geico and progressive, they're going to win. Like if you are in the insurance business and you are in the people business, you have to learn how to have the conversations that actually make a difference and show your value mm -hmm. because people are willing to pay more. Nine out of 10 people surveyed say they are willing to pay more if they find value in a product or a company they are working with, yet you're not giving them any value and they're not working with you because they're not willing to pay more because you're not valuable enough to the, for them to pay more. I'll tell you what's interesting too. You didn't put an age band on that survey, right? So you didn't just say, you know, the overwhelming number of adults who are already successful in their forties and fifties are willing to no. have this conversation. I know from my own reading that millennials and in, in, in even the, the generation behind them yep. want somebody to give them yep. that advice. They want 80. somebody that they can, they can trust that's going to educate them. But you know who, you know why we don't deal with them? The agents have the mental block. It's the old yep. guard, right? It's the same reason we have a hard time getting new blood into the industry. It's because we're so worried about controlling and not focusing on collaborating. We mm -hmm. can't perpetuate our agencies forever if we don't have a plan and we don't bring new blood in both as clients and as talent. And I think that there's a bias that exists mm -hmm. among the aging generation that's prohibiting them from maximizing their own potential because they're allowing that bias to get in the way. Yep. We were just actually at a speaking event and in, in, in our speech, we talk about the Gen Z's, what you're talking about right now. 83% of Gen Z's want that go-to professional they can trust and ask questions to. Yes, of course, they still want the ability to do everything on their phone via app to make the changes, do whatever, but they still want you because they don't know shit about insurance. They don't know shit about money. And guess who does? You do. They want that person. They want you. You have to be willing to be that person, though. You have to be the person that they want. Yeah, no, and I agree with you, man. I think that's the hardest part with production pressure and, mm -hmm. and validating and all of that. The idea of slowing down to speed up is counterintuitive, yet that's what I tell my producers all the time. You know, if 
don't worry about going and getting a hundred marketing drops this week. Do 10 of the right drop, right? Yep. Because you're going to get far more mileage out of that. And it may take you the same amount of time, but those relationships, I, I always, I go back to, um, you know, marital counseling and how to build relationships and things like that. And when I say marital counseling, no people, Annie and I are perfectly fine. We have no issues. Don't read any more into it. But if you're going to have a good relationship anywhere, you have to work on it. Right. And you mm-hmm. need to be conscious, oh, yeah. conscious about that. So I do read a lot of books And one of the books that I read specifically when I was in my early twenties about being married and, and having a relationship was likening it to a bank account where everything you do is either an investment into the account or a withdrawal from it. And if you're not taking the time to make the deposits, ain't going to be anything there for you to Mm -hmm. withdraw when the time comes. And every single thing that we do, every touch, every conversation is a deposit into that relational bank account that at some point is going to allow you to withdraw from it and gain a client. Mm, I love that. Deposits versus withdrawals, baby. And going back to what you said, it's the just more. We've been, if you were anything like I was, when I entered the industry, I was taught just do more, just work more hours, just do more calls, just do more quotes, just talk to more people, just do more, just spend more money, buy more leads, baby. Okay. Well, the problem with just doing more is you're always focused on the next thing. You're always focused on the next call. You're always focused on the next customer. Whereas if you would slow down and just take your time now, instead of, especially on the, let's just say personal line side. Now, instead of just helping a customer out with an auto policy, now you help them out with their auto, their motorcycle, their homeowners, their umbrella, and two life policies. You just turned a one product or item household into a six product item or household in that example. All of a sudden, now to do a hundred items or policies a month as a producer or sales agent, you don't have to help out a hundred people. You help out 20 households at five products per household. Like anyone that's doing a hundred is crushing it. <laughs> You're going to make multiple six, if not seven figures in the industry. I don't care if it's commercial. I don't care if it's personal lines. All right. But it does mean slowing down and having the conversations that nobody else is willing to have. And that's how you differentiate yourself and set yourself up for success as an insurance professional. I think the other thing is too, with digital being as prevalent as what it is, we feel like in order for us to understand it, and I'm saying this, I have no proof of this. It just, it's a general thought. I think people want to touch and feel and see something to validate that they've helped somebody. Meaning, you know, we'll go out and we, we, everybody wants to hammer Google reviews and make sure everybody sees what great Google reviews they have and all of that. But at the end of the day, you know, with dark social being the way that it is um, and, and becoming an increasingly more talked about um, scenario, you, we, you never know how mm-hmm. many times that person you helped gave out your name in a Facebook group that you're not in because you took the time to help them, right? Now, I grew up in a world where it was all dark social. Social media, when I was a kid, was all the people sitting in the stands at the Little League field talking about who they just got their auto insurance from or whatever else. Now we put it in in writing and everybody can see it all day. And I think we forget sometimes because you may not necessarily see that that person may not tag you or they may think they're tagging you. And because you're not a member of the group, you can't be tagged. So you don't even know that they did it. And so I think that a lot of the time, unless an agency has a really good inbound lead attribution strategy where they're getting that information by asking, Hey, where'd you hear about us? And then making sure it gets into the CRM. A lot of the time, we don't even know where these people are coming from. Hey, folks, they're coming from the people who are referring you. You didn't have the balls to ask for the referral yourself. So they're doing what they can to help you out and sending you people. But you need to know that because two things. Number one, you want to make sure that you give that prospect the exact same experience that you gave that client. And number two, you want to make sure you go back and let that client know how much you appreciate it and reaffirm the fact that they can send you as many leads as they want and you're never going to treat them any differently than you already have. 
because I think a lot of times it's set it and forget it, right? We'll mm -hmm. get that new client on board and they're, they're on autopilot. They're going to renew every year. It was a great conversation, but we really don't need to talk that much. Now we're going to keep going after prospect, 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 selling the sizzle. Meantime, your client's somebody else's prospect sitting over here. You got to make sure you're taking care of your own yep. kitchen too. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, that's one of the very first questions you should ask is how did you hear about us? How'd you hear about us? How did you find us? And then dig into it even a little bit more because they may say Google review. Oh, great. Well, do you happen to know any of our customers or anybody that has left a Google review? I think it's interesting though, because we're talking about referable and what's the stat? 11% of salespeople ask for, a ask for a referral, only 11%. So again, going the extra step doesn't take that much work. And you also have to think, we also grew up in the same era where I remember the world before the internet. So if you said something or did something that spread like wildfire, that still happens. Like to your point, the magic is in the unseen. Like there's a lot that's going on where people are sharing, talking about you, your service, good or bad, that's going out that you will never know about. And you can't control that. What they're saying, you can only control how you're showing up. That's right and your service to every single person, regardless of if it is Mrs. Jenkins or if it is the CFO, there's still something that happens on the back end of that. Well, it's everybody wants referrals, but my number one question is always, are you referable? Would you even do business with yourself? If you receive the same experience that you are giving your customers, would you work with yourself? Like you want more referrals, but are you actually referable? Are you somebody that your customers are just raving about? Or are they just, when somebody asks them, Hey, who's, who's your insurance agent? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's some, I think they represent farm or I don't know what, what exactly. Okay. That's what you don't want to happen. Like what, what is going on? Are you referable? Are you standing out? Are you going the extra step to be the person that the customer wants to send people to and continue to do business with? Yeah. Well, it's why I like to stay at the Ritz Carl. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. in my audience is now audibly groaning because I use this analogy all the time, but it's the root of the issue. I need a place to stay. Mm -hmm. I need a place to stay, rest. And functionally, I could go to the Ritz Carlton. I could walk in. I could check in. They're going to give me a key. I'm going to go up to my room. I'm going to shower. I'm going to sleep overnight. And then I'm going to check out in the morning and be on my way. I could do the exact same thing in Motel 6. Mm -hmm. You could. Right. Functionally. Could. The difference is in the experience. In, in dealing with the Ritz Carlton, it, it's dealing with the people who noticed that I had an empty Coke Zero can in my trash can when housekeeping came Saturday morning after I checked in Friday and me coming in and having a six pack of Coke Zero on ice Saturday afternoon so I could have that between the time they delivered it and the time I checked out Sunday afternoon. You know, it's just one thing after the other. And again, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but at the end of the day, slowing down to speed up is making sure you have the time to pay attention to all of those things. My first book was the extra two minutes. Literally, the entire topic of the book is you could take an extra two minutes above and beyond what anybody else in your competition is doing and make a memorable impact on that experience for the buyer that you're dealing with. It's that simple. It's that one little thing, right? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, it, it, the agency I was at before I launched Florida Risk Partners, we had a very deep niche in employee leasing companies, professional employer organizations. And the annual conference every year was either East Coast, West Coast, and it happened to be in Miami that year. And I wasn't part of planning it. I was just a salesperson who was there. So I didn't get any input on what we did, but we chartered a nice big yacht and we put our clients and a few prospects on there. We fed them dinner, we gave them some drinks, and we cruised around the island right? Uh, that has all the celebrities' homes on it in, in Miami. All in all, probably an above average trip. The extra two minutes was I went and got a box of hand-rolled cigars because I knew that we were in Miami. People were going to want that. And the, for the people who wanted them, I wanted them to have something primo. And I got to invite mm -hmm. 
the people who wanted to smoke a cigar up to the upper deck and give them a cigar, likely fresher and better than anything that they were going to get at home. And then I could talk about the history of it, where it came from, tie it in. In the meantime, I got 20 people as a captive audience while we're sitting there smoking cigars for 45 minutes. Mama didn't raise no dummy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But at the end of the day, who else would have actually thought, let's give them something for after dinner to do that. It's just like, I could, I could give you millions of examples. I'm not, I'm not going to, going to go anymore, but I think that's one of the, one of the places where salespeople miss the most, even if they think about doing something like that, very, very rarely do they take that next step and execute. And it's an experience. I mean, you're talking about an experience. In insurance, we're selling a feeling. It is an intangible product. It's a sense of security. It's a sense that you're taken care of. It's financial plan. Like it, that is a feeling. So creating an experience is everything. I, I completely agree. We have guests all the time. We live on a lake in Kansas City and the Chiefs do well. So like people like to come party. They do well. I know. Yeah, Shit. I know. They're, they're going to have a moment. So to your point, same deal. If somebody comes over, there's a phone charger in the room, there's a bottle of water, and I know their favorite candy. It's on the nightstand because it is an experience. I want them to come back. The same thing is true for anyone listening. You provide an experience. How are you making your customers feel? Yeah. It's funny because I actually have a thing of Cubans downstairs that if I know somebody's coming over that is a cigar smoker, David, I'm going to have a new thing of scotch or bourbon. All right. Two of my favorite bottles. And I'm going to get the I'm going to get the Cubans out. We're going to going to have that experience. Like it's the same thing. I got a fresh box of Cohibas when we were in the island last weekend. Yeah, man. Perfect. Just let us know when we're coming down. (laughs) You can handle the fun factory and my four kids. You're welcome anytime. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, this is, but it's so good because in the environment we live in today, what you're talking about is spot on. Yeah. Or I guess what we're all talking about here, like we live in such a fast paced environment Pie, and want things done right now. Whereas if you just take that extra two minutes and you do something different, people are going to remember that because of how you make them feel. Listen, I'll tell you what, man, my first job in outside sales, first real job. I mean, I've been hustling since I was in elementary school selling magazines or whatever else. Right. But, you know, I sold satellite dishes in West Virginia when I blew my arm out and couldn't do anything else. And so I would go door to door and try and get people to buy a six and a half foot piece of metal to put in their yard that was going to allow them to get cable. That in and of itself, not a difficult task considering 60% of the state had no cable at that time. I had to get them approved for financing so they could afford the thing, but that was on me to worry about and I never let them know any different. But the difference was in the upgrades, right? It was, say, hey, look, anybody has the dish. If you really want to blow everybody out, I would invite them back to our showroom. This is when Jurassic Park was huge. We had a massive home theater display. And when they walked into that showroom, there was a glass of water sitting on the table. And the DVD was queued up. It wasn't even a DVD then. It was a, a freaking laser disc. was queued <laughs> up to when the Tyrannosaurus is yes. walking. So when you saw the water bounce on the movie, you saw the water bounce on the table, and that's how powerful the sound system was. How many of those sound systems do you think I sold that those people had no idea they were going to buy when they walked in? But they wanted to do that. Why? Because I showed them that they could show off to their friends when they came over, and we all know what it's like to keep up with the Joneses. And that was, you know... That was a want. That wasn't even a need. So I that was a sale that I had to make, you know, emotionally and get people pumped up and, and ready to go. But I mean, again, it made it monumentally easier. How long did it take me to pour a Dixie cup of water three fourths full? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what and so I love what we're talking about right now though, because Early on in my career, I didn't understand this. All right. We're talking about this today because we understand it. We've been through the trials, tribulations, told to pound sand, like whatever. Like early on in my career, though, I was a price chaser. Like, let's just do more, make more calls, talk to more people, do more quotes. Like, let's just do more, 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 more. Hopefully I save you money. Hopefully I don't. Well, through burnout, I almost left the agency in 2016. So that'd have been two years after. So I'd have been in the industry for a little over five total years, two years as an agency owner. And I just couldn't 
I couldn't do it anymore because I wasn't feeling fulfilled. I didn't enjoy what I did. I felt like a product pusher. My team was turnover after turnover after turnover because I was doing preaching the same thing. And that's when we changed our philosophy of, hey, it's not about doing more. It's not about the more calls. It's how do we make an impact in this individual's life that we are talking to right now? How do we come that person that they rave about and that we are educating them, we are empowering them, we are making sure that we're having a conversation that they've never had with an insurance professional before. And that's when our career changed. That's when the agency changed. So by slowing down, production actually increased. The team was automatically more stable, fulfilled in what they were doing. And I was happier than I'd ever been in my career. And so if you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh shit, no, I'm in the beginning of my career. I just got to go, 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 go. I would actually challenge that mindset because I've been there. I've done it. If you're always chasing that next thing, you're also going to experience burnout at some time or the other. And just going through those struggles, I, I wouldn't want you to have to struggle like I did. Now you're still going to have to make calls. You're still going to get told you have to pound sand. But man, if you just make that individual priority that you're talking to right then, you will leave every single day feeling more fulfilled and not feeling like a product pusher. You made a comment and I want to be respectful of time. We're getting close. Um, but you said 11% of salespeople ask for referrals. Why? Why is that so weird? I mean, this is somebody who's already trusted you to represent them, which is way more important to them than if you represent their friends or not. Why do we make it weird? I don't know. Because they don't feel good about what they just did. Oh, most people, are, and look, we've been there. Like we've all been an, a starter beginner at something to where you're just out there slinging. And if you don't feel like, if you don't feel good about what you just did for a customer, regardless if you got the payment information or not, you're not going to have the confidence to ask. Like if you don't feel good at it, if you're not confident in what you're doing, you're not going to have the confidence to ask. And I believe that's why it's such a low number. I believe that's why it's such a low number because the typical salesperson in the insurance industry is average. And if they're just out there, just, oh, I saved you money. Great. Let's get on to the next sell. They're not taking the time to feel good and confident about what they're doing for people. Therefore, they're not going to have the confidence to ask, nor have they ever been trained to ask in the individual they're working with, or maybe they're working for themselves. Maybe you just don't have a process for it. All of that stuff can be fixed, but what can't be fixed is the confidence in the ask and the confidence and feeling good about what you just did for somebody. Yeah, and I don't think automation's the answer, man, to be honest with you. I mean, it is to some degree. It can at least, you know, nurture to some mm -hmm. level. But at the end of the day, I tell my kids, like even my little girl, man, she's 10 years old. Since she was old enough to listen and understand, if she wants something, I can tell you, my wife and my boys will tell you the same thing. <laughs> if she wants something and she doesn't ask me, she ain't going to get it. And mm -hmm. I tell her, Caroline, if you want the order, you got to ask for the order. If you want that gum in the checkout line, sister, just ask daddy, hey, can I get the gum in the checkout line? I don't care how she does it. Absolutely love some of the creative approaches that I get, right? But at the end of the day, it's no different. You can't expect for you can't expect referrals based on your client's good nature. Mm -hmm. You have to ask for the referral if Amen. you want it. Now, I also think there's an art to it. I think there's a cadence that needs to be followed. You can't dial your same clients every single month asking for more referrals. You know, maybe once a quarter is acceptable, once every six months, whatever that number ends up being, probably also depends on what it is you're selling or where you fit in the insurance space. But nobody's just very, very few people are going to be so amazed at your stellar insurance and risk management work that they're going to reach out and say, you know what? I've been trying to figure out how to get you in front of 20 of my favorite <laughs> friends thinking about having a cocktail reception. Would you be willing to come just so you can be there and everybody who wants to meet you can meet you. I'll tell them to bring their checkbooks. So they're ready to buy. I mean, nobody's going to do that. <laughs> no, so then no. why aren't we asking if that's the way you get it? It just, it blows my mind. Yeah. And I think yep. it goes back to, we make things weird. To your point, we're not confident in it. I think that's why a lot of PNC people don't like to talk about life insurance, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't know it or they think they don't know it. Probably actually know more than they give themselves credit for, but they don't want to bring that conversation up because 
Why? Is it weird? Is it really weird that you want to make sure somebody's family is taken care of on the worst day of their life? I call that compassion. Mm-hmm. It's the most noble profession in the world. I mean, seriously, have- listen to Jack Jameson talk sometime. Mm-hmm. It's, it, but it goes back to confidence. And then it may go back to the, do you even give a shit? Well, I like, think I think these asking for what you want, talking about uncomfortable things, these are uncomfortable things, talking about money, talking about death. So I think that there's a lot as we grow up that we have to overcome, but you don't get a bypass reps. I mean, you have to, if you never have the conversation, you're not going to get more comfortable with it. Like, unfortunately, that's how the game works. You were a baseball player. You had to swing the bat. Like, that's how the game works. You had to throw the ball. That's how you got better. So I insurance isn't any different. If you want something, you have to learn how to ask for it because you're going to ask the first time you're going to get told no. You're probably going to get told no a hundred times before you're like, ah, this is how I'm getting the response that I want. Obviously skill up, invest in training, continue to improve your craft. But I think it's also talking about life insurance. We've made it weird because it's uncomfortable and we're not comfortable being uncomfortable, I think is part of it. Yeah. I love that. And we always tell people train, practice, implement, like you're going to have to train, learn the material. You're going to have to practice it, role play it in your office. And then you have to actually implement and take action on it with customers. And sure, you're probably going to suck at it the first time it comes out of your mouth. But guess what? That's a rep. Just like the first time you swung a bat, you probably didn't make connection with the ball. All right. And, or maybe you did, maybe you were like the shit. I wasn't, I struck out. Our, I'm like, Oh, there's a strike. It's the hey, same Michael, thing. We, we are talking on this podcast, right? I think you're it's safe. <laughs> like you had, you're going to strike out multiple times, but by 100%. striking out, you learn what works best. You're going to be able to enhance and increase your skill. And eventually you don't strike out as much and you actually start to hit home runs. You get the referrals, you sell the life insurance policy, you get the big commercial account, but you got to take action. You got to do the reps. You know, the other thing that I talk about all the time, man, and I mean, you guys are literally walking right down my playbook to a certain degree, but I think so many times and Courtney referenced this with the training thing, but you know, if you ask the average agent out there, how seriously do you really take your continuing ad? Like, do you, do you take it seriously or do you skip to the end, try and pass the test so you're done in 10 minutes? What have you done to get designations? What have you done to learn from the experiences that you've had thus far? And, and what I mean by that is this. We're so worried, and it goes back to my whole mantra, slow down to speed up. We're so worried about the next opportunity and, fig- and visualizing and imagining that we don't take enough time to reflect, okay? And so to your point about striking out and learning to hit and all of that, the other thing that people do is they watch tape. They look at their stance. What's different when I'm striking out versus when mm. I was hitting home runs? How come I'm? How come I, my shoulder seems like it's a little bit more forward? Then you got to get in the box and you actually have to try and replicate what you were mm-hmm. doing before. And one of the things that I've done, and, and I'm I'm huge on this. I'm big on visualization. I'm big on goal setting and in having rewards that I'm not going to give myself that reward until I hit that goal. Um, but I'm also big on reflection. If I'm in a slump, if I'm having a hard time getting appointments booked, or if I did, if I had one and for whatever reason I couldn't get it across the finish line, I have every single agent of record letter I've ever gotten in my entire career in a three ring binder that I can sit down and I can look at that and I can say, oh, that I remember that. I met with the CFO, Robert, and they were having a problem with having to self-report their inventory every quarter. And I was able to solve that by moving them over to Chubb where they were just given peak season endorsements in a flat amount based on the average. And we lowered the coinsurance to 50%. So there was no penalty and boom, that may be what breaks me out of the slump. Oh man, I didn't even use that on the last one. And it would have applied. You can't forget where you came from. There's not a Mm -hmm. single person in this industry that is so freaking good at what they do that they can remember everything they've ever done and constantly implement it. You've got to take time to reflect. You've got mm-hmm. to take time to look back or else you're never going to push forward at the speed that you want to push forward at. Amen. Yeah, that's so good. Amen. Well, amen's usually how we end the prayers or a sermon or whatever <laughs> else. So, you know, we're coming up on about an hour at this point. How do people find you? If they want to get more Weaver, how do they do that? 
Well, since you're already listening to us, you can check out our podcast, The Insurance Buzz. There's new episodes every Monday and Thursday. And you can follow us on all social medias. Weaver Sales Academy, Michael and Courtney Weaver, hang out there. Shoot us a message. You can text us too. We're big action people. So we we like to implement, take action. So feel free to text us 816-727-7610. Let us know that you heard us here. If you have any questions or you want to connect a little bit further, we love that. We love people that just Text us, take action. Yeah. And personally, invest right, in yourself. Right now, well, I'm hanging out most on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Um, love the platform. I think you're mainly on Instagram. Yep. So, so would love to yeah, connect but with you, know you what? for sure. Why wouldn't you be on LinkedIn, right? It's the most abused platform by people who are out there trying to market for their brand. So, if you have a refreshing message and know how to execute the right yeah. way, yep. you're automatically going to look better. LinkedIn is the insurance industry of social media. If you want to look at it that way, yep. you got a bunch yep. of average, if not below average, people on there trying to tr- to take the easy way out. When in reality, and, and little- if you've got a good message and you can be consistent in everything. You're home free. Yeah, absolutely. And for those uh, individuals that may be personal lines agents, I wrote a book, Game Changer, Taking Your Insurance Agency to the Next Level. Probably applies in the commercial space as well, but uh, you can find that bad boy on Amazon. And Audible. And Audible. It's Yeah, it's one of the very few insurance books on Audible. It just released uh, two months ago on Audible. So yeah. um, I know two other, other ones. <laughs> what are they? Are you on Audible too? I am, yeah. Extra Did you minutes, read it? it- No, Extra Two Minutes and Dirty 130 are both on Audible. But what I will tell you is Game Changer, people, listen to what I'd say to you, okay? And pay attention because your insurance agents, and I have to give these directions three or four times, scares the bejesus out of me sometimes. Some of y'all are insuring people's livelihoods and you can't follow basic directions from David. But here's the deal. If you send an email to david at killingcommercial.com, in the subject line, write Game Changer. David at killingcommercial.com, subject line, Game Changer. Then in the body, I need your name and I need your address. So I know where to send it, but the first 12 people to email me that way are going to get a free copy of Michael's book, Game Changer, from the Power Producers podcast as a thank you for having them on today. Thank you so much, my man. I appreciate that. Michael, that's the extra two minutes in real time, my man. Just just wanted you to know that. No, you're the shit. Appreciate you. Good deal. All right, guys. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on today. I know you're busy. I got another one I'm getting ready to record. So thank you so much for being on here. And we look forward to this episode dropping. I know we're going to get a ton of positive feedback. So thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. This is fun. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 